in Psalm 7, verse 1, the Bible says, O Lord my God, in thee do I put my trust. Save me from all them that persecute me and deliver me, lest he tear my soul like a lion, rending it in pieces, while there is none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there be iniquity in my hands, if I have rewarded evil unto him that was at peace with me, yea, I have delivered him that without cause is mine enemy, let the enemy persecute my soul and take it. Yea, let him tread down my life upon the earth and lay mine honor in the dust. Selah. Arise, O Lord, in thine anger. Lift up thyself because of the rage of mine enemies and awake for me to the judgment that thou hast commanded. So shall the congregation of the people compass thee about. For their sakes, therefore, return thou on high. The Lord shall judge the people. Judge me. O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to my integrity that is in me. O let, the wicked of the, o let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just, for the righteous God trieth the hearts and reigns. My defense is of God, which saveth the upright in heart. God judgeth the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. If he turn not, he will whet his sword, he hath bent his bow and made it ready. He hath also prepared for him the instruments of death. He ordaineth his arrows against the persecutors. Behold, he travaileth with iniquity and hath conceived mischief and brought forth falsehood. He made a pit and digged it and has fallen into the ditch which he made. His mischief shall return upon his own head and his violent dealings shall come down upon his own pate. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Yes. Psalm 7 is a psalm of David. And if you have a certain Bible translation, certain copies of the Bible will, will give the notes that were ascribed to the psalm at the beginning of the psalm. And this psalm is labeled as a plea for protection from enemies. Shagayan of David, which he sang unto the Lord concerning the words of Cush the Benjamite. Now what's all that mean? Who was Cush the Benjamite? Do you know Brother Wayman? Yeah, and there's and there's not a whole lot that that's the consensus. And there's not a whole lot that's written about him. But we believe, and what's commonly believed about Cush is that he was working behind the scenes with Saul, and he was making some false accusations against King David to King Saul. This guy is working to destroy David. He's working to have David killed. And so David here is in this time of conflict. He's in this time of persecution. He's in this time when he can't feel safe because he's always having to watch his back. He's in a very difficult time. Yet in this very difficult time, in this time of conflict, and have you ever been in a time of conflict? Have you ever been in a time where you're in battle or in conflict or at war with someone else? How does that make you feel inside? How does that make your heart feel? It's, it's a very angsty place to be, is it not? 
in this place of conflict, in this place of persecution, in this time of angst, David is able to conjure up and sing praises to the Lord. And he is still in the spirit to the point that God is able to inspire these words through David. David sang psalms in the best of times, and he sang psalms in the worst of times. This was something that Martin Luther found to be very impressive about King David. He said that King David sang psalms in good times, in bad times, in times of triumph, and in times of trial and tribulation. And as King David sang psalms unto the Lord and sang praises unto the Lord, so shall we sing psalms unto the Lord and sing praises unto the Lord. And when Charles Spurgeon wrote the, read those words years later, he said, you know what, that's a really good idea. <laughs> we should be doing that. How amazing is it to be able to praise the Lord in good times and bad times. When everything is falling down all around you, to still be able to praise God and say God is good. And not only to be able to say God is good, but to be able to tell you why God is good. And to be able to talk about what's good about God. Sometimes we don't want to do that. And sometimes Jessica will remind me. She's like, okay, Leland, say something good about God. And I'm like, no, I really just want to kind of, kind, of, kind of complain right now. She's like, no, no, I'm not letting you get away with that. Say something good. So, you know, that's, that's King David. The world is falling down around him, but I put my trust in the Lord. My God is my shield. My God is my buckler. My God is my hope. My God is my salvation. The enemy troops are coming over the wall, and David is just praising the Lord. We should sing psalms to God in the best times and in the worst times. People are going to talk about you. People are going to make judgments about you. People are going to write you off. People are going to tell other people why they shouldn't like you. People are going to work against you. And David knew this was happening to him. But David did not concern himself with that. Instead, David committed himself to the Lord. It didn't matter to David what mere men thought of him. What mattered to David was what God thought of him. And not only did David trust the Lord to make the right judgment of him, he accepted whatever judgment God would hand down. He trusted God for the right judgment, and he set his mind to accept whatever it was that God gave. We spend too much time worried about what other people think about us. We spend too much time worried about what other people are saying about us. You know, I hear people say, well, you don't know how they talk about you when, when you're not there. It's like, okay, well, you know what? I'm a sinner too, okay? I mean... You know, we shouldn't be concerned with what they're saying when we're not around. We shouldn't be concerned with that. You know whose opinion should matter to us? God's opinion should matter to us. How God sees us should matter to us. People are all messed up, okay? People cannot make sound judgments. There's a long history of this. You can look at politics and see who people vote for and come to the conclusion people don't know how to make judgments and sound decisions you can look at the fact that crystal pepsi is no longer manufactured it never took off people cannot make sound judgments i'm making a joke about crystal pepsi but you get the idea my, my i'm still my feelings are still hurt about the arch deluxe not making it but that's a different story altogether but people 
are sinners and lack the ability to make sound judgments. So if people can't make good decisions, why are we worried about what people think and what people say about us? Our concern needs to be with what God thinks about us. That's what we should be thinking about. And that's what we should be trusting in. In Psalm 7, we see David's trust in the Lord. We see his trust in the Lord for deliverance. We see his trust in God's judgment. David is going to place himself at the mercy of God and say, Lord, judge me. <clears throat> judge me according to my righteousness. And if I have done this thing, Lord, I deserve whatever's coming at me. Okay, he's going to place himself at God's mercy. He's going to trust in God's judgment. And we're also going to see that God does indeed judge the wicked. So let's look at David's trust for deliverance. In verse 1, O Lord my God, in thee do I put my trust. Save me from all them that persecute me and deliver me lest he tear my soul like a lion, rending it in pieces while there is none to deliver. In the midst of adversity and opposition, David puts his trust in the Lord and he proclaims it. Things are going badly. There is a real threat to David's life. This is a big deal. There is a man talking to the king, telling the king that David wants to overthrow him and kings would totally execute you for that without so much as a trial by jury, just on the accusation because he has to protect his throne. And so there is a very real threat, a very real danger to David's life. Yet despite this, David says, I'm placing my faith in the Lord. There are some really big problems happening right now, but I am trusting the, God. I am trusting the Lord. I am trusting God. He proclaims his trust in the Lord, and he praises him in the process. Look, things are going bad. This man is trying to kill me. They're trying to take my life away from me. But I trust in the Lord. I trust in the Lord and the Lord is good. The Lord is the Savior. The Lord is righteous. The Lord is holy. I place my faith in him. I was talking to a, a, a man one day. He had bought this newspaper from another businessman. And that businessman then immediately began to undermine his interest so that he would go out of business and he'd uh, have to give up the paper. And this man told me, he says, I don't care when it happens. I just know that God's not going to let that stand. And he didn't. Are we placing our faith in God amidst the adversities of life? Do we praise him in the process? Do we trust God when everything is going wrong, and do we praise him in the process? Gasoline goes up to $50 a gallon. Do we still trust God, and do we praise God? The Russians take Ukraine and half of Europe. Do we trust God, and do we praise God? Your boss terminates you. Your landlord evicts you. Your family walks out on you. Yet, do you trust God, and do you praise God? Everything around us crumbles. Everything around us falls apart. The world that we knew passes away and we're stuck in this new world, whatever this thing is. Do we still trust God? Do we still praise God? And can we praise God as these things are happening? 
you pull up outside the gas station and it says $4.09 on the sign and you're pumping that gas. My gas tank on my car is roughly the size of a thimble. And yet, to fill that thimble up, it cost $37 yesterday. Can I do that and still praise the Lord and still trust in his provision? Do we trust God? Do we trust him to deliver us and pull us through these times of adversity? And we are going through times of adversity. Maybe I'm just getting old, but I find myself saying things like back in my day, and it used to not be like this. And when I was young, you could do this. I, I, I find myself telling the kids how much things cost back in 1994. Brother Wayman. Yes, this is, this is something, this is important. This is, this is, it's a staple. Like with the Marine Corps band on the 4th of July, they're playing what's important to the Marine Corps. This, this is not a psalm to pass over quickly to say, okay, that's Psalm 7, let's move on to one of the more, this is one of the more important psalms. That's a very good point that's been made. Do we trust God to pull us through these times of adversity? And thank you also for getting me back on point. Uh, do, do we all, I'm starting to go off on, y'all remember when? Um, do we trust God to deliver us from this present evil world? King David says in verses 3 through 5, O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there be iniquity in my hands, if I have rewarded evil unto him that was at peace with me, yes, I have delivered him that without cause is mine enemy. Let the enemy persecute my soul and take it. Yea, let him tread down my life upon the earth and lay mine honor in the dust. Selah. Again, David's faith is in the righteousness of God. Therefore, David expects and trusts that God will act according to his righteousness and not merely to the pleas of David. And since David has well-placed confidence in his relationship with God, he has a faith to place himself at God's disposal. By virtue of his relationship, which came by repentance from sin and faith toward the Lord, he has faith that God will deliver him. Therefore, David has this faith. David doesn't think that just because he said a prayer, God's going to answer him. David doesn't think that just because he's soon to be one day king or he's basically a good guy that God is going to answer this prayer, that God is going to protect him. The reason David has this expectation of the Lord's deliverance is because David knows who God is to him. He knows that God is his Savior. He has that saving faith in the Lord. He has that relationship with the Lord. He knows that he is one of God's children. Therefore, he knows that he can trust God's judgment and God will judge according to his righteousness. Our faith in the Lord comes by repentance. This repentance and faith is the basis of our relationship with God. And that relationship is why we can trust God to deliver us and why we can praise him during the storms of life. We don't look for God to deliver us because we think that God is pleased when the economy is good. We don't look to God to deliver us because we feel like America is just by nature a better country than the rest of the world and we're Americans, therefore we expect God will deliver us because we're Americans. We expect God to deliver us because we are his children. 
If you have turned from your sins and you have trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are a child of God. And it is that faith that God sees as righteousness, and it is that righteousness that God will judge you by. Therefore, your faith in the fact that God will hear your prayers should come from the fact that you have that saving relationship with the Lord. Do you know the Lord as your Savior? Where do you stand with the Lord? Have you turned from your sin and, and trusted him as Savior? Have you turned toward his truth? Do you embrace his truth? Do you love his word? Do you love his law? Is, does he define who you are? Are you centered on him? Where do you stand with the Lord? Do you trust the Lord through the adversities of life? And are you looking forward to being with him in his kingdom? Is the return of the Lord something that is to look forward to, something that is to be desired, something that you are anticipating? Are you looking forward to that? Where do you stand with the Lord? David trusted God to deliver him because the Lord is his savior. Is the Lord our savior? Is he your savior? If he is, you can trust him to deliver you as well. David, secondly, had a trust in God's judgment. In verse 6, David says, Arise, O Lord, in thine anger. Lift up thyself because of the rage of mine enemies, and awake for me the judgment that thou hast commanded. David has been the subject of some serious false accusations. But David knows that one day God will judge the quick and the dead and that all things will be brought to light and all things will be set straight. And so instead of fearing God's judgment, David is actually looking forward to it. David wants his day in God's court. He wants everything to be laid open. He wants everything to be revealed. Because he knows in that judgment... He will be vindicated as a child of God, and the wicked will be destroyed. People today, they don't want to hear about wrath and judgment. They don't want the judgment of God preached. They don't want the wrath of God preached. Brother Leland, we need something a little bit more encouraging today. But brothers and sisters, it's the judgment of God that will bring about our final deliverance. Why should we dread that day? I understand that we are sinners saved by grace. I understand that we do not measure up to the standard, to God's standard, that we have not kept his law. I understand that we're all guilty of sin, but do you not understand that God has forgiven you of that sin and he has paid for that sin? You do understand that when you enter into God's throne room for on that day of judgment, you do understand that he's not going to run the game film and tell you everything you ever did wrong in life. But he is going to show you your faith and he is going to show you the joy of the Lord that he is welcoming you into. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, Judgment Day should not be something that we dread. Why do we dread Judgment Day? Why do we see this day as something that is bad, something to be avoided? Don't talk about it. It might actually happen. You know, why do, why do we fear it? Why do you dread Judgment Day? Are you worried about those who will be Condemned and destroyed in that judgment? Is that what you're worried about? That's fair. Evangelize. Disciple. Share the gospel with them. Minister to them. But for our deliverance and our salvation, judgment day is a good day because that's when it all becomes tangible. That's when it all gets delivered. Judgment day is something 
that God's people should be looking forward to. In verses 8 and 9, David says, the Lord shall judge the people. And then he says this, he goes, judge me. We're all scared of judgment day. David's trying to get to be first in line. You know, when you fly on, a, on, a, on Southwest Airlines, you can pay extra money to board the plane first. And this is several hundred dollars. I haven't quite figured out the value of that because the seats are all the same. There's no first class. But people will actually pay hundreds of dollars to get to board a Southwest Airlines flight before everybody else. Maybe I just don't know the good seats. Maybe I just don't understand. I've only flown twice in my life, okay? But, the, you know, you can pay money to get to the front of the line. King David is trying to get to the front of the line for God's judgment. He says, the Lord shall judge the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to my integrity that, was in, that is in me. O let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous God trieth the hearts and the reins. David says that the Lord will judge the people. He will judge everyone. We will all stand before the Lord that day. David wants God to judge him. David wants God to examine him. David wants God to, to reveal who he really is. And God will not condemn his children, but will rather showcase their righteousness, which came by faith. He says the wickedness of the wicked will come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous God trieth the hearts and reigns. The desired results of the judgment, that wickedness will come to an end. If we really want wickedness to come to an end, we should be looking forward to Judgment Day. That should be something we want to see happen. The righteous, righteousness will be established and maintained. David calls on God for this judgment. He trusts God to bring it about. And the judgment will be true, for God will try the hearts and reins of men. I can understand why people wouldn't want to go before a court that is operated by men, by mere mortals, because sometimes people make the wrong choice. But God won't make the wrong choice. His judgment will be correct, will be right, will be righteous. In verses 10 and 11, David says, My defense is of God, which saveth the upright in heart. God judgeth the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. Why does David so trust in the judgment of God? Because God is his defense. God saves the upright in heart. David knows that his righteousness came by faith and that that righteousness will shield him from God's wrath and the judgment. So God judges the righteous, but he is angry with the wicked. And David says, my defense is in the Lord. My defense is of God. I trust God. I know him. He's my savior. He's my redeemer. He's my deliverer. <clears throat> the faith that David had was his salvation, was his faith, was his righteousness. So he could trust God. He trusted God for the judgment. And he knows that God will take those of faith, those who trusted him, and deliver them, and confirm them in the judgment. But he also knows that God will also destroy the wicked in the judgment. The question is, where do you fall on that scale? Do you trust the Lord? Have you trusted him as Savior? Do you know him as your Savior? And therefore you can enter into his presence with confidence knowing that he will deliver you? Or are you among the wicked who do not trust the Lord as your Savior, who do not trust God's judgment? 
the good thing about it is if you find yourself on the side of the wicked, you can switch sides. That's what repentance is. It's a turning. It's a change. You turn away from the sin and the wickedness, and you turn toward the Lord, and you trust him. The wicked will be destroyed. There are consequences. I know I'm not much of a fire and brimstone preacher, but I don't want you to get the idea that it's not there and that it's not important and that it's not a real possibility. The wicked will be destroyed in verses 12 through 13. David says, if he turn not, he will whet his sword. There's two different he's here. The he that will turn not, that's the wicked. The he that will whet his sword, that's God. If he turn not, he will whet his sword. He hath bent his bow and made it ready. He hath also prepared for him the instruments of death. He ordained his arrows against the persecutors. God takes no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. He takes no pleasure in condemning people to hell. Yet in order to bring in everlasting peace and righteousness, he must destroy those who will not repent. You cannot have wickedness living and then expect wickedness to not exist. You cannot have wickedness being spread but expect to have a perfect sinless kingdom full of God's righteousness and his love and his grace. Therefore, he ordained his arrows against the persecutors. He prepared them for them the instruments of death. His bow is bent and ready. God is ready to take his shot. The destruction of the wicked, I said earlier, it's a possibility. It's not a possibility. The destruction of the wicked is not a possibility. It's a certainty. It's a certainty. It will happen. But if you are one of the wicked, there's a recourse. Verse 12 says, if he turn not. Well, if he turns not, that means that the other option is he can turn. You can repent. You can believe. You can trust the Lord. You can be saved today. Verses 14 through 16, Behold, he travaileth with iniquity, and hath conceived mischief, and brought forth falsehood. We're talking about the wicked here. He made a pit and digged it, and has fallen into the ditch which he made. His mischief shall return upon his own head. His violent dealings shall come down upon his own pate. Have you all ever seen somebody who destroyed themselves with their own choices? They set out to hurt somebody else, but it backfired and hurt them instead. It happens. And King David's saying that God uses that. The wicked, the Bible says, travail with iniquity. There's some King James language for you. How, how, how often do y'all use the word travail? It's not, it's, you, know, you know what travail means? It's going through the childbirth process. You see this word used a lot in the King James Bible when it's referencing a woman giving birth. The wicked travail with iniquity. They give birth to it. They reproduce it. They conceive mischief. Now we're talking about conceiving mischief. We're not talking about wrapping your neighbor's house or sneaking out of bed at 2 o'clock in the morning to play on the Xbox when you're supposed to be in bed. When we talk about conceiving mischief, mischief has to do with violence. It has, in, in Scripture and King James language, you're talking about waiting behind the bushes for the rich guy to walk by so you can jump him, beat him up, and steal his, and steal his gold. That's mischief. It says he hath conceived mischief and brought forth falsehood, lies. Brother Wayman talked to us this morning about politicians. 
You know how you can tell if a politician, he didn't say this, but you know how you can tell if a politician's lying to you? His lips are moving. These guys don't tell us the truth. They, something happens and they try to figure out how they can spin it, retell the story, omit certain details, make up certain other details, and make it look like they're the good guys. We, and, and this is so screwed up. I said that from the pulpit. This is so messed up that something that should be straightforward and factual, we can't even get the truth on it. COVID. It's a pandemic of a severe flu. Yet, you couldn't tell in the early days, well, you never could. I don't think we ever solved this riddle. You couldn't tell what was true about COVID and what wasn't true about COVID. Where did it come from? Maybe that doesn't really matter. The fact is it's here, but maybe it does matter because people need to be brought to justice. How badly will it affect people? How communicable is it? What's the proper way to contain the spread and to treat it? You could not get a straight answer on any of this because those in charge were using the answers they were given to leverage the pandemic for their own personal power and advancement. Amen, yes. You can take a pill that could stop it from reproducing in your body but we can't allow that because we really need this thing to be more scary than it is in order to in order to keep it in order to keep people in compliance. Or maybe we can tell you that this particular pill will work because we don't want you following with the other guys. But the thing is, you could not get a straight answer from anybody about COVID. The science says this one day, and the very next day the science says the, the exact opposite. Why? Because those in power benefited from the answers that they were giving you. Falsehoods. Falsehoods. This doesn't have so much to do with the political class. It has to do with the wicked. Going back to Psalm 7. Sorry, I took another detour. I just found all that frustrating. I, you know, it's because so much of it's needless. The wicked, falsehoods, lies. That's what they propagate. <clears throat> and because they propagate evil, they have to be destroyed. And often their destruction is brought on by their own actions. We have to learn to be able to, first of all, identify evil and wickedness. I think a lot of times people lose their ability to do that. And we lose our ability to do that the further we get away from God's word. And we have to learn to see the foolishness of evil. Y'all ever read a Bible story and you think, what was that guy thinking? Like, did Cain actually think he could hide uh, Abel's body from God? Did Adam really think he was hiding from God in the garden? Do y'all ever look at that and be like, oh, come on, man. The Israelites... We, we can't go into the promised land. We'd have been better as slaves in Egypt. You're like, what is wrong with you people? You ever read a Bible story where somebody did something so foolish? Esau selling his birthright for a bowl of bean soup. That doesn't even sound that delicious. 
Well, because they lost the ability to see the foolishness of sin. And when we get away from God's word, from his truth, and we start living by what's right in our own eyes, we lose the ability to see the foolishness of evil. We need to learn to be able to see evil for what it is and to be able to see the foolishness of it. And that comes by being close to God and being in his word. Have you turned? Have you repented? Have you trusted the Lord as your Savior? You know, we look at Psalm 7, and there are so many Psalms in the Bible, some of them are more famous than others. You know, Psalm 23 is probably the most famous. Psalm 100 is a Psalm of Thanksgiving. People like to quote Psalm 91 when they're proclaiming that they're immune to the virus that's going around, or when they're claiming the blessings of God, and some people... A lot of people quote Psalm 91 the way it's meant to be quoted, and they use it the way it's meant to be quoted. It is a very popular psalm. We skip right over Psalm 7. It's not as famous as the, as the others. I mean, how many of y'all, is this the first time you've heard Psalm 7 preached? Okay, I got one. All right, two. All right. So it's not like I'm breaking new ground here, but how often have you heard this psalm preached? That word, shigayon, that I skipped over earlier, that Brother Wayman drew our attention to, it speaks to the fact that this is an important psalm. And the importance of it you find in the opening verse, O Lord my God, in thee do I put my trust. And in the closing verse, I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. The fact of the matter is, We've always got problems. There's always adversity. I mean, we weren't complaining about this 10 years ago. 10 years ago, we were complaining about something totally different. 10 years before that, it was the terrorist and it was 9-11. 10 years before that, it was the recession and the war in Iraq, the first one, the Persian Gulf War. 1981, I was three, I can't remember that, but y'all were, y'all were, somebody in this room was complaining about something that year too. We always have and before 1981, well, 1981, you had the uh, you had the hostages in Iran, and 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 that hostage situation was coming to a close. Um, there is always adversity. There is always something life threatening, something threatening to our way of life, the things that we love, our existence that we perceive. There is always something staring us down. Yet in the midst of all this. We need to be able to follow David's example. And even though everything around us is crumbling and going nuts, we can look up and see God, see his righteousness, his holiness, his greatness, his power, and place our faith in him. Looking forward to the day that he delivers us. King David in Psalm 7 so trusts God that he is calling on God to bring about his judgment. He is ready to stand before the Lord on Judgment Day, knowing that he can trust God's judgment for righteousness, for a righteous judgment, for his deliverance. Can we do the same? This morning, if you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you have never stopped repented, that means to turn, that means to change, that means to change direction, change course, 
turned away from sin and placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, placed your faith in Jesus to receive you into heaven because he paid for your sin on the cross. If you have never made that conscientious decision, this is the day of salvation for you. This is the day that you need to make that decision and articulate it. Share it with us. But I've been part of this church for so long. I don't want y'all to think I've been living a lie. We ain't going to judge you for that. I did that for 20 years. Lived a lie under a false pretense, thinking I was saved and I had never repented and trusted Jesus as my Savior. And you will find that most of us have a similar testimony. Oh, we're going to be happy that you, that you came to that, to that point of faith and that salvation. We're going to be happy for you. And if you have trusted the Lord as your Savior, it's time that we reorient our lives around him to praise him and sing psalms to him even when the world falls apart, even when our lives fall apart, to trust him in the storm and in all times and all ways and in all seasons to be able to say that God is good. He is my Savior. He is coming to deliver me. Let's stand.